Assalamu alaikum and welcome brothers and sisters to another Muslim Vibe podcast. With me today I'm joined by none other than Chief Editor Salim Qasim and we're also joined by Ishtar who is now, I suppose, we were discussing before, you're, 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 we interviewed you first but you're now part of the team, right? Yeah, so do I need to... A friend of the vibe. I like that, a friend of the vibe. So do I need to introduce you? Do I need to say all your credentials and how amazing you are? What, what do you do, by the way? <laughs> 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 bit of everything. A bit of everything. So I work in public health. Which is what we discussed last time when I said you're corporate. And you're like, hey, not corporate. I, um, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, a public health uh, servant. Is that okay? Yeah, let's call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. call your servant. Servant of the people. Um, and that is timely and apt because what are we talking about today? We're talking about, first and foremost, it's 20 years since the death. So, you know, I've been watching all these documentaries and, you know, kind of commemorations and memorial tributes to her. And yeah, I was just interested to see what you guys think, especially in light of the mental health issues, which has suddenly been highlighted a lot through this kind of retrospective look on her life. Um, and hence, yourself, the health person. <laughs> so, yeah, so hopefully you'll contribute something to it. If not, I don't know why we called you. But um, uh, and uh, apart from that, we're also going to be talking a little bit about our Hajj experiences, equally being the time of Hajj. And uh, I believe all of us have been on Hajj, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Okay. Look at that. It does not say anything about who we are. But, um, yeah, um, it's at least an achievement. And then, then finally, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about nuclear disarmament and uh, North Korea and generally, you know, what is the purpose of nukes? So yeah, so lots of topics to talk about, guys. Hit us up with your questions. Um, we are live on Facebook throughout the half hour. Um, and yeah, as I say, yeah, we'll hopefully address some of those points. But yeah, let's start with our first topic, man. So Diana, as I said, all week, my parents have just been watching like on, it seems like it's on repeat, uh, but like, Literally, documentary after documentary on Diana, how she died, the life she leaded, the people's princess, etc, etc. I was quite young when she passed away, so I can't say that I really understood much of the emotive side of things. Um, do, do you remember when you heard the news? Like, where Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where were you? I was watching Cartoon Network. <laughs> I was watching Tom and Jerry or attempting to. Yeah, and, and, and they were saying, oh, Mr. Yes. Look at that. So we were probably watching the same thing. Well, this is when there's terrestrial TV, so we only had like four or five channels but, to choose. But from. what was really interesting was that, like, you've never had a news alert on a kid's channel, and it was just kept telling me to, like, flick over to Sky News. Yeah. Oh, really? And then when my mum woke up and came downstairs, she, like, saw it and was like, can you go on Sky News? I was yeah. like, no, I'm watching my cartoons. <laughs> Eventually we did. Yeah. And then like that was it for the next like 48 hours, just wow. news yeah, constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was strange because like back then we didn't have the sort of news cycles that we do this yeah. time around. Mm. And, and you mentioned like documentaries. I, I saw something that was quite interesting. They were talking about the fact that there was a good two hour period where very, very few people knew that she had died. Mm. Right. So okay. the royal family... Um, and like obviously Diana's family as well and nobody else knew yeah and so they were saying on the news that she's gonna make a full recovery it was a minor accident and like I think her sister was saying that she got really emotional really upset mm. and like you know unnaturally but mm. uh, you know she didn't know why but she was just really caught up in it all and was mm. like why are they lying but mm. they just didn't know yeah mm. because of how the news was whereas today you would, with social media people would you know yeah. instantly be kind of tweeting, tweeting yeah. and from the hospital and all this kind of stuff so it was interesting. Like, it was a different time altogether, I mm. think. Well, as I said, like I, I barely remember it, but the only vivid memory I do have 
was because um, at this time we just moved to London, so we we're staying in my grandma's house and stuff. It's quite a small house, and we were all in the living room at the time. And all I remember is my mum crying, mm. which is r- r- well, uh, exactly because mm, mm, mm. um, as I say, ordinarily it may be stereotypical or a generalization, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong. As I said, most of us migrants um, don't necessarily have the most uh, affection or affiliation to the royal family. I don't know about yourself, Ishtar, we were asking a moment ago, like... Oh, uh, that was um, off the record. No, but the thing, she was yeah. the people's princess, right? Okay. And everyone always says she had this kind of human side to her, that the monarchy... As opposed to generally, robotic or like... No, but like the monarchy obviously has like the stiff upper lip British, right, you know, okay, they have okay. to put on a front. And so do you mean she's down to earth? Yeah, she's... and like she was an advocate for, you know, AIDS, homelessness. The charity and the philanthropy charity, she yeah, did and whatnot. Quite in... different to what we were used to. Well, I think them. actually, interestingly, what might have softened it and brought some of uh, that kind of um, bond or, you know... Um, as you know, uh, affiliation to her was also the fact that she used to visit a lot of kind of other communities. Mm. Something which wasn't necessarily done by other um, dignitaries of uh, of the same kind of circle. So, for instance, uh, our local mosque, uh, being Stanmore, um, I remember as a youngster, Princess Diana coming and being very respectful, even putting on a hijab. And uh, you know, do you remember th- any of that kind of? I've stuff? I've got like, pictures of my of my grandmother with her. Okay, okay, um, and 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 it's weird because I I there's so many people I know that when you know even now because the twenty year thing. Um, people are talking about their own experiences mm. with Diana growing up and yeah. like you know uh, someone I know that was in hospital in, in like a children's hospital and Diana used to go visit her yeah. she's been to a lot of our mosques and community centres and like as we said sort of a woman of the people and I mm. think it's it's rare and it's funny because as people we always have this kind of affinity and attachment towards public figures that mm. we've never met never mm-hmm. engaged with but this was one person that everyone felt like they knew her. Yeah. And in yeah. a very real way, because she gave so much back to the communities and, and did so much in that way. Right, right. Um, and I don't think we've seen anyone like that since, to be honest. Well, this is what I was going to say then. Like, you know, um, who is the equivalent today? You know, if there was uh, another public figure um, who was to die in, God forbid, you know, a tragic circumstance would it have the same effect whereby 20 years on we're still talking about it youngsters who never necessarily grew with her but um experienced their maybe as i said parents or whatever their understanding of it through them still relating to her and understanding and empathizing and relate all the rest of it right can you think Ishtar, of anybody like as i said like are you pro monarchy? Like, as in, like, you know, do you like the monarchy? You like, keep pushing it <laughs> I'll just take a step back then before I answer that, which is it's interesting because twenty years on, yeah, the, in this recent month, you know, there's been a lot of interest mm-hmm. in the documentaries, but every other year that passes, there hasn't been that much focus, like, you know, on on her death anniversary. Yeah. it kind of comes and goes. Right, and I think the week after she died, I remember it was just like media frenzy and. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere and people were holding like newspapers and the front page and commemorating her but yeah. then after that apart from the few stories that came out around whether it was a scandal or whatever it is it kind of quietened down so it's well, interesting it's well that, that's another interesting point that you bring up the fact that you know a lot of the focus initially was around the scandal 
right? Mm. You know, and I feel some of that has now been forgotten about, especially like bearing in mind the circumstances. And I want to get to the mental health aspect mm. more importantly than this, but it's relevant to mention, you know, the whole kind of appearance of Camilla all of a sudden, um, that fiasco, mm. and then how it's kind of just blown over and it's just like, oh yeah, it's just his wife now. You know, I think it's also not a big deal. the way that the monarch that the monarchy was seen is how do they react? Mm-hmm. Again, because they have this front that they want to put right mm. Mm. Um, you know we're very controlled and whatnot and her two kids who are quite young i think probably what 12 well so? interestingly they're the same age as me and my brother yeah so like william's um my brother's age and i'm harry's age oh, um, you guys could have been friends but <laughs> my brother played him at school in rugby once <laughs> when my brother went to a posh school oh wow. when we could afford it well no not even that we've got a scholarship but the point is um we're the ghetto kids who got allowed in there but the point is is that um as I said, there were so many commonalities that you could relate to, be it the children, be it the single, uh, you know, being an a orphan now, you know, and uh, your mother passing away, etc., etc. Now, though, as I say, a lot of it is concentrating on the aftermath, her mm. diaries, you know, the butler, the person close to her, all these stories about her treatment within mm. the family and how it contributed to that mental health issue. Um, and hence, I keep, you know, joking and just for asking about are we pro-monarchy or not? Because it's interesting for a family which is so stiff up a lip so much about this, you know, perfect exterior and everything else. It seems they're pretty much just like everybody else in a way. Yeah, and I think it's changing slightly. I think they're changing their image as well. Mm. And you see that a bit with Harry and William, the way that they've been portraying themselves. And, you know, the stories that come out about um, William and... Kate's trying to be normal parents, things like that. I think they're trying to project that they're just like... Why do you think that is, though? Like, Because, as I said, it never used to be the case. In fact, it used to be the opposite. I think they realised, you know, the the public opinion... I mean, there are people that adore them, and Mm -hmm. and they've had loads of events like the Jubilee and the weddings and things like that that have kept people interested. And Mm. They do bring people to this country. They... They, there is still this kind well, this of novelty we, about should, should them. Should we, though, be paying for renovations to their house? <laughs> I, I guess not. <laughs> well, no, I used to have this argument with my mate at like, university. This like, is the issue. Like, yeah. as in, I, okay, I understand that, you know, for, as a tourist attraction, yeah, fine. They bring so much revenue, apparently. They, they bring, yeah. but, but they're, they're, they're a drain on the economy mm. in, in some respects. And I, I think, you know, the, the taxpayers... It's up to the public and it's also up to but our it's politicians not up to the public. and I can't, I can't parliament stop to decide. Yeah. No, but we out. have a right to say, I think if we look, I'm sure there's something in the like, British constitution... The, constitu- right, the constitution that we what? that she needs to sign off on. Right? I was going to say, if you how, look at purgatory powers, purgatory yeah, powers yeah. pretty much puts us in no man's land, man. To the extent that even the house you own is not really yours. Do you know what I mean? Like, That's if you true. look at land law, I did a little bit of law at university, and it just shocked me that how primitive everything is and how duped we are into believing we have some sort of democracy rather than an it's like our passports democracy. as well like our yeah. passports are, are an official request from the queen to allow the holder of the passport to go to that place. we're going to start going to straw man theory and common <laughs> law and you know oh, like, we're going to theories well, again, i was yeah. going to say man like you know what i mean all these laws is about mariners and seas and all, but the point being maybe is we'll, that we'll yeah. see a difference maybe in you know whoever inherits the throne okay i think that's probably the only time we'll really know okay mm. where does the monarch now stand Okay, but then so finally, you know, this, as I said, the the health issues of Diana. I mean, what does that say to you as, uh, you know, somebody who works in this field uh, in whatever respect and 
in that if somebody who seems so privileged, who has so much, um, you know, who is afforded all the privileges and benefits of comfort and luxury, etc., um, who has status and wealth, how do they seemingly, as I say, end up in the same situation as a common person whereby they're struggling with their own self-esteem, their self-worth, their value, um, you know, uh, they're struggling with their marital issues, you know, the mother-in-law issues, you know, because, you know, again, all these stories you would hear, it's like, eh, it's a bit similar to my family, you know, and it's, I'm not saying anything about, you know, <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, regardless yeah. of status, you know, mental health affects everyone, mm. um, it's more common than I think we, we realise and perhaps that we give not credit to but that we're aware of right right and so it doesn't matter you can feel just as lonely even if you have hundreds of people around you mm. waiting on your hand and foot she clearly you know she was struggling and it's sad to think that maybe there weren't enough avenues for her to be able to get support mm. and i don't think the media helped because they were really obsessed with her and yeah yeah i think it, it went both ways i think she was able to gain a lot from that media attention but it can't be easy to have your life just Complete, your private life just completely mm, plastered mm, everywhere mm. you know presumptions made about you you know her her deterioration of her marriage going from being really private to be really public mm -hmm. and you know, she's also a mother and I think irregardless of like I said status or whatever it is you have in life mm. we need to acknowledge that people do need help and mm -hmm. you need to be able to reach out to them and I think that there's another point um, mm. that people have been talking about on the radio the last couple of weeks about um, during the funeral um, the kids were made to walk behind the mm. the thing, uh, yeah. the 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 hearse. The hearse, that's yeah. one. Um, and they were talking about how Harry, I think, was twelve at the time, and he really didn't want to do it, but mm. they forced him to because of that whole stiff upper lip thing, and they had to, you know, yeah. maintain appearances. Yeah. But the psychological impact that it's had, and obviously we've seen his sort of like uh, tough. You know, he went through a sort of tough phase in the middle and whatever else, and a lot of that stems from things like this. Interesting. Um, and so even in even in how they had to be, mm. uh, generally, that was c kind of formed issues in itself. Yeah, no, because you can imagine, like, you know, not being allowed to openly grieve, yeah. like, um, that's going to be really difficult on a child. Mm -hmm. you know? That's a lot of responsibility. And to... I, saw, I saw footage of, like, when they came to one of the palaces, yeah. and it was just lined with flowers outside, and they had to, like greet the mourners right. and there were people like lining the streets and they would like greet them like, these are kids they're young kids mm -hmm. and there were people crying at them for their grief but wow. they were like, had to maintain mm -hmm. that kind of facade wow. of wow. Um, just no emotion obviously yeah. you know everyone yeah. knew they were upset but they, they, they have that kind of appearance they had to keep up and I think yeah. it's it's worrying to an extent, but mm. I think also times have changed. I mean, it was a long time ago, as we said, even the way the news came out was very different to how it would today. Well, I think also the mere fact that we are able to view these um, these documentary pieces or you know read these books, etc., the mere fact that they're now giving us that information because like Salim said um, not to get too you know uh, like you know everything's monopolized by one power but the point being is I'm sure if there was things that they didn't want aired on media it wouldn't be there right mm -hmm. so the, the mere fact that we're being given some insight in itself I think shows uh, signs of moving on at least a little bit I think right? also maybe it's the right time mm. in 20 years is not a lot of time but it is you know, a fair chunk. Yeah, maybe no. ten years on, mm, definitely. and at Isn't one it? point you might it might just get lost in history that people won't remember. Mm. There, are, there, what's interesting? Another thing I saw. I, yeah. I'm surprised you watched a lot of Diana. Yeah. Just TV's been on and it's been there. I'm not been seeking this stuff out, but 
sure. There was. <laughs> I love the monarchs. Um, there was this. There's this foundation um, that's been set up. I think by her and her name. Um, and and what was really interesting is one of the like custodians or whatever was saying that the kids that are now benefiting from this only know her as a historical figure. So we actually saw her alive yeah. um, and like saw the impact she had on like yeah, us yeah, and our yeah, families yeah, and whatever yeah, else. But yeah. there are kids now that only know her as like someone in history. Yeah. And that's quite that's weird. Quite it's surreal, really weird to think yeah, like we're, we're getting old. <laughs> I think it's a takeaway point is we're, <laughs> we're getting old people. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Speak. Yeah. yeah, just me. Don't worry. Just me. Well, since we're getting old, maybe we need to move on because time is of the essence and before you know it, I could die. Um, but no, no. Um, importantly, and well, speaking of death, it is symbolically and allegorically, uh, you know, a message that we need to take from this time and period, which is Hajj. And um, so, funnily enough, my mum's actually, she's actually on Hajj at the oh, moment, wow. so alhamdulillah, yeah, 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 really, yeah, really fortunate to have, last minute she got like a, uh, a dropout and, you know, managed to find a spot, because you know, we know how like, with our lot as well, especially like these group Hajj journeys, you've got to sign up a year in advance and stuff. <laughs> um, and interesting, the last time she went was like 10 years ago when oh. I went, um, but I've been told a lot has changed yeah. um, in terms of the development in... Uh, economy and you know um you know shops and hotels and businesses and etc and what impact that has had on the hajj goers and you know the, the pilgrims etc any of you guys been more recently who can shed some light on this or are you similar in that did you go quite a while back um when did you go when did you guys go so I've kind of seen Mecca through the changes. Right, right, right. When I, I went on Umrah when I was about seven. Similar it was eight. Completely yeah. different. Yeah. It was like almost desert, right? You could even go down to get Zamzam yep, from the yep. well. Like it was a completely different city. I remember that. And then uh, I went on Hajj when I was about fourteen. So wow, many years ago that is now thirteen. Need to get there in quick. Isn't it? <laughs> but then I went on Umrah about I want to say five years ago, maybe a bit longer. Right, right, and right. The, they'd already kind of built the clock tower and the moor. Okay, yeah. Um, How did you feel about it then? Like, you know, even just watching those changes. Because really, even Medina's yeah. changed a lot. Yeah. Um, it's become, it looks a bit more like a metropolis mm. compared to what it used to be. Mm. Because, you know, around the Haram, you would have the old kind of marketplaces and it was all very much still old town. Yeah. And you kind of felt like you were in old, olden times. Yeah, yeah, You walk in the same streets as the Prophet, peace be upon him, and things like that. Um, but it was weird, and I remember when we went on Umrah, there was um, it was very busy in Mecca, and they we didn't make it down in time for Jummah. Right. So they, there were people actually praying in the mall, and I just thought there's no connection. Clearly, yeah. you're praying in front of Aldo <laughs> and listening to some guy talking about you know we need Miss Immunity and and whatnot, and there's like a really nice high heel shoe in front of you yeah. you're just thinking oh I don't know it's, it is weird I it, feel like it's it's taken away a bit from what about you Salim do you, you so I, I went last year okay oh, yeah. wow, wow. so you know bro you were raggle at that KFC <laughs> halal bruv <isn't> it? Like, <laughs> we had our we had our like pre um tawaf like you know like getting ready point yeah. was was in the clock tower yeah you know, to, to be honest, I mean, we used to like go for a meal beforehand there, and it was quite convenient having like bathrooms and just having a bit of kind of comfort there. Yeah, yeah. And then going as much as I absolutely hate the clock tower and everything it kind of stands for, mm. it, it's an eyesore, and I think it you know takes away the focus from the Kaaba itself. 
but it was interesting it became like a sort of it's that place that you can just get whatever you need yeah yeah and yeah, then yeah, go yeah, and, yeah. And, and and do what you want and okay i don't know i mean i i last time i went before that i was i think about six seven as well i, I have very vague memories of things right um but it was uh it was a once in a lifetime experience it was mm-hmm. something like i've never experienced before and just even when you get to um passport control mm-hmm. there was like you know you have the groups so there was like Ghanaians, people from the ivory coast people from indonesia mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like everyone is there and like you just start you, the conversations you have with it's people amazing, yeah. and, it, and, and if anyone does go to like Mecca ever or is there right now and somehow listening to this mm. like I would encourage you to have conversations with people it's the most amazing thing like Definitely. I because I, I would sit there like in Medina and pray and talk to someone mm. and then you just end up having like a nice 10 minute conversation about anything and everything mm. life whatever it is and mm. then you just move on mm. and it just it shows you and obviously symbolically everyone's wearing kind of the same clothes and whatever else and it just shows you that we're number one so insignificant and mm-hmm. we're part of this huge body of people and it's it's quite an empowering feeling to know that you know like everyone there's got your back to an extent definitely, definitely. And, and vice versa right definitely and i think also especially coming from our backgrounds whereby when we were younger again i harp on about the migrant situation but it's relevant because we were a lot more insular mm-hmm. in that you know we went to our Indian East African mosque and I went and somebody else goes to the Irani mosque and the Iraqi mosque whatever the point being is our communities never really came together let alone let's talk about madhabs and different mm. sects of Islam and whatnot so when you get to as you say Mecca and you're seeing every different ethnicity and nationality from you know South America to Australia and they're all doing the same rituals, dressed in the same way, you know, yeah. part of the same body, as you say, it, it has an impact on you, you know. It's like um, Malcolm X, you know, the idea that until he went to Hajj, mm. he couldn't, you know, he couldn't... On that note, we've got a video dropping very soon on the Muslim Vibe, uh, Malcolm yeah. X talking yeah. about his experience. I didn't even know. Yeah, he didn't, didn't know. And, and, and interestingly as well, we've had yeah. four comments from people all sending their salams, one from New York, one from the Philippines, Alec one from Islam. Belgium and Spain. Alec so we, we've got the whole international thing going here as well, which is Spain, great. Man. This um, but yeah, so what, yeah. what were your guys, I know it was a while ago, but what was your favourite thing um, from being out there? Do you remember? My favourite thing from being out there? Um, I think for me, there's like a real calm stillness in the air. Mm. Everywhere? Or in particular places? So both Mecca and Medina, but I really think Medina for me is like the hardest place to leave. Really, yeah, there's okay, just yeah, something yeah. there. Yeah, I can't describe it, but mm. it, it was honestly just just the stillness, and I've never felt that calm before. And I don't know, is it like you said? I think you realise how insignificant you are. I think it helps put things into perspective, and it just there's something about it when you leave there. You kind of leave a part of you behind. And I'm going to piggyback off that one because... Uh, You're cheating. <laughs> Basically, you didn't have an answer, so go on. <laughs> ah, no, I did. In <coughs> fact, she, she actually interrupted me. Um, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> so, um, so basically, and I was like making loads of hand gestures to say sharp. No, no, I'm joking. No. I was prompted <laughs> to speak. So. No, I'm joking. I was going to say contentment. You're right. Bang on in that. You know, uh, when you say the stillness, the atmosphere, the ambience, whatever, for me, 
that translated to contentment, but mm. pure contentment, you know, yes. like in the sense yeah. that you're not watching the time. Uh, you haven't checked like what's going on in the news or like, you know, back home. You don't care about popular culture, you know, like, you know, you have no worries about your wealth, you know, like, like everything is just complete serenity and contentment. Mm. And that peace of mind mentally, I've never really had other than at times like that. Um, so yeah, otherwise it's just like a washing machine all the time. Mm. I think like, you know, obviously it's quite physically demanding. Yeah. But it's weird because it's kind of... Energising at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's such a weird thing. And I, I think for me always, alhamdulillah, the three times I've been, when I go and I just, you only see the cabots, it's quite an overwhelming structure. Yeah. To Just in front of you. It's quite like, underwhelming at the same time. No, so so this is the thing, like when I got there, I think when we got back, me and Afra both went and we did a podcast on this. And Mm. when I got there, like I remember there were people like I could hear my group, they were like crying and getting really emotional. And I was just looking at this kind of black scary. Mm. Yeah, no, but it it was just it was just strange. And like it took me like a few days to like process where I was and what this was and, and I realised as well because I'm quite um, I wouldn't say against but I'm not a fan of kind of symbolism mm. um, when it comes to things but then you go on Hajj and everything you do is symbolic mm. yeah. and and it was like God telling me like you need to kind of think a little bit more before you start making judgments <laughs> yeah, on things because yeah, everything yeah, yeah. is symbolic mm. like yeah. the, the, the sacrifice that we make the hair that we cut is like a new start and a new beginning the stoning of the, the devil or whatever it is like it's all symbolic. But like you, I was like really anti, basically, not the idea of symbolism, but the idea of symbolism almost taking over the purpose of your kind of um, your ibadat, your your worship, right? So like you say, when I saw um, you know the Kaaba for the first time, yeah, I had this woe feeling that I'm here. But at the same time, I was realizing also back to the historical stories of how the Kaaba was built in the first place and what it was in the first place Mm. and that it was never supposed to be a building that's revered. It was literally just four points to go around and that was it, you know, because you've got to bear in mind also there was all the pagans selling all their idols at that time Mm. there. So you've almost got two rituals combating each other. So Mm. it wasn't about, as as you mentioned, the but then, and that's what I think sometimes we as youngsters get sceptical and cynical then when we see other people putting so much investment in that symbol and it makes us kind of draw back. But like you say, I took some kind of like balance and equilibrium from that in that, you know, yeah, maybe I need to step back a bit and say, mm-hmm. you know, everyone to their own and, you know, it's all about what brings you closer to God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as long as you're not replacing it and it becomes, you know, a, a but it, it's when you're it's when you're doing things for the sake of that thing itself. Exactly. Yeah. So like if we're doing tawaf for the sake of walking around and trying to touch cube, it and, you know, because then like because uh, this is another interesting point. Trying then. to touch it as well. So the stampedes, right? Mm-hmm. OK, you know, people pushing and shoving and trying to get towards Hydra Aswad or, you know, touch the black stone and this and that, you know, it's like. Yes, I understand that, you know, your efforts, I'm hoping God is going to reward you in some way for that. But at the same time, at what cost if you're then trampling on somebody else? Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the point of, you know, having been on things like Arba'in, you know, and seeing the amount of people there and not having any issues whatsoever. Oh, Every, have been to the women's side. Okay, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Well, when I say issues, there obviously there's always issues in, in, in when you have mass um, pilgrims. But 
I found in Hajj, I don't know about you, how did you find the security and like the kind of like um, the general help from the, the people, you know, the forces, you know, uh, who are working to make the pilgrims feel comfortable? I've had a different experience over the years. Back mm. in the day, I found um, they weren't as tolerant if you were off a different mindset or a different, you know, kind of thinking in terms of the way you practice your religion. Um, and slowly, slowly, they become more tolerant and understanding. But still, sometimes I see the hijaj not getting treated in the best way. Mm. Um, and again, that sometimes makes me feel like, you know, like... And the whole Saudi monarchy and stuff, like, and the issues of, you know... Um, Who has ownership of Mecca, really? Is it Muslims or is it Saudi? So my question is, you know, yeah. there's some people who go, like, every year for Hajj. Is it something that we should go to once in a while to, you know, get that feeling refreshed and et cetera, et cetera, and then give others the opportunity to, because money can be spent better elsewhere? Or should we all be trying... As soon as we make that two, three thousand pounds, let's go for Hajj. Um, because bear in mind, a lot of this money also goes to the Saudi government, right? Um, so I just check it out that, there. Just put it out there. Just, I've heard these but comments. It... Because also, again, you know, the whole commercialization of it, this is why I brought up the idea of the Hilton Hotel and having like an escalator which goes straight into mm. it because you've got loads of rich people who are now, instead of going to the Bahamas, they go for tourism there. This is my point. Is it adding to all of that? Because then what happens is those poor people who are, for instance, you know, having to do a three week journey to get there may not get a space because the rich guy who can go every year and afford Isn't it. Isn't Hajj an invitation from God? Yeah, but... <laughs> that's a good one, that's a good one. I like that, I like that. Fair point, yeah. because I was reading somewhere that to go on Hajj if you're from Bangladesh, I think it's like a year's salary. Where, and you know, in Indonesia, it's something like um, eight, nine months. In the UK, it's, let's say, average salary maybe three months, four months. Because it, it is pricey. It is pricey, yeah. I think also but to put it in... Oh, you're not done. You, you can make <laughs> the point. Go on, no, no, make no, the point. No, make no, the point. Man. Point's done. <laughs> point's finished. Um, no, but, but just to, to sort of... <laughs> exit. Uh, to, to, to add to that as well, like, um, the one of the guys that I know that goes every year, he said that a couple of years back, he met someone on Hajj um, and the guy was from a village in Africa and it, from that village every year everyone chips in to like a communal mm. pot and they pick a name out of a hat and that person goes wow and so like we we're, we're blessed that we're in a position where we can actively make the decision every year to be like oh should we go this year no, no, no I went last year kind mm. of thing mm. but it's it's and obviously there is the whole invitation mm. uh, element as well but we definitely take it for granted and I feel like it has to an extent become like a bit of a middle class holiday like not even necessarily Hajj itself but like Umrah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and just going to, to Mecca has become like an alternative kind of get some heat in you and also have a lot of food but there's yeah. still some spiritual yeah, 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 guilty. Yeah. yeah and I mean the last point I want to make on that part is because back in the day what I used to see when I used to get to um, you know to Mecca the first site which would amaze me is all the people sleeping on the mm. floor around the harem. Mm. The more and more they've developed, the more they've now taken that space away from them where you're forcing people to have to take accommodation. And if you can't afford it, this is the point, you've taken literally a spot away from mm. a person who was willing to just camp out for the sake of God. So, you know, that's the only thing I'm going to ask, you know, in all of that kind of, you know, uh, pontificating in debate, you know, are we moving too much towards you know commercial hajjis 
Um, and are we uh, responsible then to almost reverse the tide and, as I say, you know, scale it back a bit and uh, afford other people the chance to, and at the same time, as I say, combat some of that, you know, uh, industrial monarchy business going on? I'm not aiming at anybody, I'm just chucking thoughts out there. I've got a response, but I'm waiting for it. No, you can go for it. I'm still... No, so I, I personally feel like there is something to be said for the the trials that people used to go through back in the day to, to perform Hajj. So, like, you know, a month, two months, three weeks, whatever it is, mm. on, like, horseback or on camelback yeah, yeah, yeah. to get there. And, yeah. and it was a physical journey. And Hajj itself is like, why do Muslims have to go to this one place in the desert, essentially, mm. to perform this ritual. There, there is something in that whole journey and, and struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like with everything being symbolic, there's like a spirit to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we need to also learn to embrace that as much as possible. So when people go for Hajj, rather than trying to get you know the closest hotel with the best breakfast buffet and all of that, have a bit of struggle or even if you let's say you are staying there because you know other options aren't available don't indulge yeah. and have that breakfast every morning and, and you know what i mean like mm -hmm. don't live it up as much as as much as you can mm -hmm. save that for another time but like this is going to be a, a trial and the fact that you you know we wear the ihram for three days it gets dirty it gets disgusting mm -hmm. sweaty mm -hmm. and then you kind of shed your clothes and you're you're starting afresh like mm -hmm. it's going to be a struggle mm -hmm. that's why we can't wash our ihram that's why we can't change or anything like that and that's, that's why the toilets are so dirty like, <laughs> and that's why the toilet <laughs> that's never going to change but i think it's there are other struggles as well you're yeah. talking a lot about like the physical struggles the material struggles but i think there are other things and that's the point when you go on hajjits there's also that preparation time beforehand indeed yeah and getting yourself ready to go but like point, and it's an issue when you get ill there as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, what happens Ishtar, when you get ill in Hajj? Like? <laughs> What's our next topic? <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear disarmament. You had a bit of that your, in your own sense, then, didn't you? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can tweet her personally for that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> like I said, it's, it don't be my nudge story, so don't worry, it's fine. You're right, you're right, you're right. We won't go any further. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, moving on to the next topic. Timely. Well done. Thank you. Um, nuclear disarmament. I once did a show on this um, back on British Muslim TV where like, I was wondering, like, what is the whole point of mm. nuclear weapons in the first place? Are they not just like poker cards for countries? You know, like, I can do this, well, I can do this. Because the thing is, is that if you've looked in history at any time any nuclear weapon has been let off, doesn't just affect your enemy it affects so many people to your own people because i don't know the way that chemicals and stuff linger and etc etc um it just seems almost like a moot point because it's so devastating that nobody becomes a victor you know so in light of the new discussions around north korea and you know america and everything else and do they have you know, uh, a threat that's real, you know, or is this just, you know, um, hyperbole, you know, back and forth and whatnot. What are your guys' opinions, firstly, on the issue of North Korea and them having um, nuclear weapons and etc. And secondly, nuclear weapons across the board. Do you think countries have the right to own nuclear weapons? Um, or do you think they are, as I say, redundant? Who should I go to first? I think what's happening now is just a lot of posturing. Okay. So, you know, Donald Trump and yeah. just, yeah, we have all these weapons and fight you with fire and fury and mm -hmm. whatever they said. Mm. The problem is, 
looking at Trump's track record, yeah. clearly how far North Korea is willing to push. Yeah. Like you said, what is, what are the implications going to be, not just on those two countries, but maybe the Asia-Pacific region, and even globally. And you saw how the, the markets kind of shook a bit yesterday yeah, because yeah, of everything, yeah. or today rather. But I don't know. I, I also feel like there is maybe a bit of frenzy at the moment. Okay. And I think that's partly because of Trump and his... Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because well, somebody said to me, the funny thing about Trump is he's the first politician who's actually delivering what he said he'll deliver, even if what he's delivering is crazy. But it's, it's the way he's doing it. So right. like, if you look at, I actually think if Clinton was president now, we'd probably still have North Korea doing whatever they're doing, testing and yeah. throwing you know, um, ballistics into across Japan and mm-hmm. whatnot. But I think the rhetoric coming out of the White House would be really different. Right, right. And I, th- I think it would probably mirror... So you had the Cuban Missile Crisis with yes. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And then the Cold War with Nixon, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were very measured about what they said and how they came out and tried to control the, the narrative. Because obviously nobody really wants the nuclear weapon mm. to go off. Donald Trump, I don't think, really does want it to go off. But he's somebody that wants to be popular. Yeah. And he promised things... And like you said, he's delivering on those promises because it keeps him popular. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is you don't want to test him too much because he tried to repeal Obamacare. Mm -hmm. He got turned down. Mm -hmm. Now he's got this new tax thing he's trying to do. Probably might get turned down. Mm -hmm. He probably just wants to still be like, yes, I've still got it. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a scary thought, but it's something worth considering because how far is he going to be? Yeah, willing to be pushed. Yeah, yeah. And how much control does White House have over him? And well, this is another question uh, I've asked many because uh, Salim will know. I don't believe that many of the faces of power that we see are really those that actually pull the strings, right? Mm-hmm. So my kind of thinking has been: Is Trump somebody who almost is a ruse you know like a red herring in that it's just you know um they know his game he's been put there by them and therefore this is all just you know um almost like you know theater for us or is it that they initially thought ah you know what this guy he'll do really badly and he'll and Hillary will definitely win and then like Salima said before like you know it turned around them a bit like Saddam and, and Taliban and things like that and now he's hitting back because he realizes how much popularity he's gained or is it something other um I, I don't really know um you know how I think he's fit- always going to have a loyal backing right from the from the public right I think we've seen that with Charlottesville and things that happened there yeah that even with a lot of the statements he was saying and you know, um, people within the White House coming out and saying, no, no, he doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. We still see that he's always going to have a base that's quite loyal to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what about but then governmental powers itself? Do you think that he has the backing of, you know, um, you know, the rest of his party and, you know, in general, like, um, you know... Does he need to, to be able to release... A nuclear I suppose it's, it's not like with England, you know, like they have a very different constitution you, way of working. I think you're talking of something else within legislation. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he needs yeah. his backing, but does mm. he for... I don't know. You'll like my, my thought process go on, here. Go on, please, bro, please. Okay. But, 
Consp- conspiracy time. So, um, <laughs> I, no, I, it's interesting that all of this has happened after um, what happened in Charlottesville, mm. and we've completely moved away from the fact that the right wing are doing Nazi salutes on the streets yep. and killing people as well. Yeah. Um, and we're now talking about a foreign enemy again. Hmm. But North Korea's just, been just going been, on for a while. No, I know. I know it's been going on for a while, of course. But, but the but, escalation. But the escalation. I, I'm not. I'm not actually saying that you know this is what happened as a result. But what's interesting is within the news cycle, because things are now so quick, we've moved on from from all of that stuff, and we're now on this. And I think what's worrying more than anything is that in North Korea and America, you have two leaders that are essentially um, act like petulant children at mm. times mm. and and will do whatever they want on a whim yeah um and that's what's really worrying for the rest of the world because we don't know and obviously the implications of a nuclear war are, are crazy um but then you look at the sort of the media's treatment of jeremy corbyn mm. when he was asked whether he would bomb our enemies yeah and he kind of said well he doesn't want to he doesn't he, believe in trident he, he doesn't yeah he doesn't believe in trident and you see the response that gets so yeah. whilst we might sit here and discuss the fact that nuclear weapons uh, no one should have them and we all you know we believe in disarmament yeah the reality is that i think people are too scared and, and you know we live in a climate of fear as well people are too scared to step down yeah out of fear that their enemies will only embolden yeah. um with that so it's a catch-22 really i can't see which way the world's gonna go mm. and whilst i have your attention one more thing um from my experience i went to uh Japan and I went to Hiroshima um, and what's happened as a result of them being bombed is that they've become like a city of peace mm. and and the site itself where the, where the A-bomb struck yeah. um, is like a peace museum wow. and every year the mayor of Hiroshima writes a letter to all the world leaders asking and encouraging them on the anniversary of the Hiroshima bomb asking them to um, to disarm basically all their nuclear weapons and and what's what's happening is like the whole city is like transformed into this like peace loving people, um, out of having seen the sort mm. of uh, horrific outcome of of an atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is that people are too far removed from it. So even f- for myself, like I was shocked when I went there to see that the Americans when they when they bombed Hiroshima um, and Nagasaki, they they did several uh, test bombs um, around other cities. Yeah, and. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people were killed. They weren't atomic bombs. They were just normal bombs that looked like uh, the A bomb. And but they were selected. The, the reason they ch- selected those sites was because they were very contained. So it was an experiment to see mm-hmm. what would happen when they yeah, let off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But within those themselves, dozens of people died. Yeah. So it, it's it's crazy, like the the extent that we will go to. And the problem is that people talk about, oh, it's, you know, we're never going to use them, mm-hmm. but we have in the past. Countries have in the past, mm-hmm. and. I it think has been decades since. It has. And I think but have we really progressed as, as people? That's what I was just going to say. Like, no, and that's the issue in that, yes, it's been decades since they haven't used them. So then shouldn't that tell you that we don't need them? It's been decades since the Nazis. It the other it's, but yeah. it's posturing. It's people wanting, like you said, like, they don't trust the other. Right. Maybe to say, yeah, we don't have nuclear weapons. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, a lot of reasons why we've gone to war with other countries is because oh they have weapons that they could use against us and then that turns out not to be true it's that fear it's that the unknown you don't know what the other person's thinking and we know we don't need nuclear weapons but 
even if people have signed this treaty at the UN for unilateral or multilateral disarmament, do you is feel any... going to take their hand off the gauntlet? Probably not. Well, this is what I'm saying. Do you feel any safer knowing that your country owns nuclear weapons? No, not really. No. I don't Why feel safe because I think, well, because they're so unstable. I What's that to do with nuclear I don't know. I, I just feel like it's part of like British pride. No, <laughs> no, because the one the I monarchy. said. Where's your poppy <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, seriously, yeah. these are unstable elements. You know, uranium, whatever it is. I don't know what that's gonna do. It something could go off on its own. You yeah. don't have to release it. Yeah. What implication is that gonna have on the environment, on my water supply, on my mm. health, on mm. the air? Those things worry me too, regardless if someone wants to use it against me or not. There's, where are these things stored? What, you know, how stable? What do we know, really? Also, the cost as well. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. cost is a big one. Like, yeah. but that's that's the point. You know, weaponry war. These are profitable. And it's funny, people who are not aware of it don't actually realise how much we spend mm. on that element of uh, you know um, our foreign policy and stuff. But like, I think it's spending is going down. Mm. I've, I've read some. But comparatively to, for instance, how much they put in the NHS, let's say, or within education or anything else, like, is it, is it respectable in the sense that, you know, is it fair? You know, do people sit there and think, oh, yeah, you can spend that money on war because at least you're taking... What are we? We're a country of complainers often, right? Because we're like, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough, and often mm. it's not good enough. And why is it not good enough? Because it's underfunded. Why is it underfunded? Because... Money's been spent elsewhere. Mm. Why are we one of the highest paying tax, you know, um, uh, countries? And yet we can't keep these things up to date because that money's going elsewhere for the sake of posturing. Just to also contextualise it, it takes up about 5% of the defence budget, mm. which is uh, about 2.4 billion a up. year. Which I think is a significant amount of money. Mm -mm. Two point four billion, like you could cure charity issues, like you know, uh, nationally and even internationally, you know. So like, but like you say, what's the point in helping the homeless if we're all going to be dead tomorrow because we don't have nuclear weapons, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It's it's a difficult one, you know. It's like I said, do you feel any safer? No, but at the same time as that, um, knowing other countries have them, do you think we should still then own ours? I the unfortunate reality is that we live in a world where there is no trust and there's no kind of togetherness. Mm. And and personally, I don't believe in the need for kind of borders and countries and all that mm. stuff. A lot of it is artificial. If you look at Africa, look at the Middle East as well, a lot of it's just been, or, or you know, for example, well, Pakistan, just look at history India, when, yeah, it's, I was it's, say, it's just been carved up whenever, by man. Whenever they've done that, how does it affect generations of people mm. right so I'm, I'm with you Salim and that man-made creations of this nation so if we don't have borders we mm. don't have countries then there's no kind of rival we're all one essentially yeah, there's yeah. no like oh this is us and this is you guys and mm -hmm. it's us and them mm. it's just people living in different parts of land yeah yeah um, but we've built up things like nationalism patriotism and I think that's what uh, fuels a lot of this hatred and, and it's, it's, a, it's strange because a lot of it just comes down to identity politics, I feel, mm. um, and this kind of insecurity sometimes that people have and nations have about mm. not being a, a superpower or not being where they feel they should be. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of that's going to change because of the way that economies are changing. You have emerging markets like India. Mm. Um, climate change, I think, is going to, in terms of migration mm. patterns and that whole idea mm. of borders, how mm. you control that, I think that will... It will force people to change. In what way will they change, though? I think you need to be more accepting. You know, if you have 
people coming to you know immigrants coming into the country mm. who are looking for you know better opportunities better resources as well see i, I think it, i think that does have an effect i would agree with you and disagree with you in that you know sometimes i see moments of optimism for things like that and then for instance yesterday i got sent a link um from a mate about Beshtar, you know the um, Israeli um, football, football team, team, right? They signed the first two Muslim players. It's an old video, I think. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years. Yeah. yeah and yeah. basically, the entire kind of support, uh, you know, of, the, of that team, basically chanting, you know, we are pure and racist slurs and all sorts of stuff. And so, like you say... We're I think people are going to accept things. But I think it will that's just force us to change. That's just no, but football. it will force change because, mm. you know, like I said, you have emerging markets that are coming up. Realistically, I mean, even the US now, is it still this huge superpower? It probably, you know, extends a lot of its markets. It's arguable what is power, you know. Is it people uh, in government? Is it the, the people who the debts are owed to, you yeah. know, because, you know, Again, as I say, how are these decisions made? Is it made based upon policies, or is it made based upon you know private meetings with bankers? You know, I, I, it's. I think there is going to be a shift in the paradigm. We're probably already sitting in it, mm. but mm. what what is going to happen? <laughs> who knows? But yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, I don't know if that's in that place to stop then. You know, um, because who knows? I don't know. You don't know. So what's the point in talking anymore? Um, but yeah, no, Jacob. Well, nuclear disarmament, like I said, you know, it is a difficult one because ultimately, if you don't have it, you're at the bottom of the pile, and all your, you know, peoples can be fearful of the fact of invasion, and we could be another Iraq, let's say. You know, if you do have it. As I said, then it makes you public enemy number one, where everybody else wants to have it so that they can combat you. And if you do have it at the same time as that, there's the whole hypocrisy of why do you have it and other people aren't allowed it. So, I don't know. I would hope in an ideal world that we could get rid of all arms and all weaponry and not fight full stop, or at least go back to the prophet's times whereby war is done between soldiers only in a far field where no other civilians are injured. But we're not. We're in an age of computer games and drones and like you know joystick buttons so unfortunately we're just gonna have to watch this space i suppose aren't we? Mm. Mm. any final comments Salim? no no it's been good i enjoyed this all right Isla, are you gonna come back no <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right man well thank you very much guys for joining us um yeah it's been interesting being interesting it's been the Muslim Vibe Podcast, guys. Make sure to follow, subscribe, and all the rest of it. You will find us on the SoundCloud, iTunes, and you know where else you want to download us from. But obviously, we're also on Facebook and YouTube and all the rest, guys. Until next time, I've been Anayat Kanji. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and love.